0: Uh, I need to introduce myself, because uh, for some of you, I may be a strange face, for uh, I, I believe this might be the first time that, uh, that I've ever been here, for those of you that are, are paying attention, uh, watching us on live stream on the internet there. So, and just in case uh, you didn't make the service this morning, um, I just, and she's watching now, I, I just, just a second, you got to, Kurt got to say hi to his grandbaby. Hi, Mom. She she's in Orange City, Iowa, so whew, I'm on the TV, Ma. Uh, my name is Doug Baker. I am one of the pastors here at Community. The reason you don't see me around here very much is because my call here through Community is to uh, uh, be purposeful and, and seek out advancing God's kingdom outside of our walls, which means that my job takes me other places. Uh, I spend time in, in other churches with other believers. Um, we talk about planting and, and 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 growing multi-sites. We talk about uh, we're, we're in partnership with a plant in Hungary, so we've gotten to be with them. Um, and I spend a lot of my Sundays with our brothers and sisters at Beaverdam Reformed Church. They are a small congregation in our classes that we are in partnership with. They have been struggling for a very long time. And as two churches together, we are walking together through these difficult times with them. And, and we are seeing uh, great, great wonderment and, and God's power at move, uh, moving and at work. Um, and so, uh, continue to pray for them, and on behalf of the folks at Beaverdam Reform Church, um, hey. So, um, uh, one thing that I want to want to make a request of you, um, and this is uh, because, uh, in a church as small as Beaverdam, the ministries that they try and do uh, sometimes need help. Um, Some of the ministries that they're doing, especially this summer, uh, the Hudsonville Fair is coming up in August, and every August they have had an ice cream booth, and they serve up ice cream to folks, and and it's a great fundraiser for the church. Um, Well, uh, in a church that is in decline, they have fewer hands to help. Um, We need people who know how to scoop ice cream. Um, Does anybody have any clue how to do that? If you are available, if you have time, if you are willing um, August 21 through August 26, we could use some help. Um, there are two different time frames per day. There's a one to six, and there's a six to close. Um, and on those days, if you have some time and would love to help, come see me. You can see me after church. I, um, <clears throat> I have the sign-up sheet right here. <laughs> so we can plug you in right away. Uh, if you need to look at your schedule and you want to give me a call later this week, that would be great too. Um, Thank you. Thank you for your prayers and all your help. Um, Now, on to God's word. Today, we are going to be digging into God's word. We have been uh, walking through uh, this wonderful journey over the last several weeks, uh, exploring the realities of guilt grace and gratitude, and we've been using the book of Romans to, to help us dive in and, and understand things, uh, what God has to say about who we have been, what he has done for us, and now who we can be. And so today, uh, we get to zero in on one of those chapters that talks a lot about grace, a lot about what Christ has done for us. Um, this is uh, the book of Romans. This is kind of a The Apostle Paul's magnum opus of theology. Um, It's pretty deep. It's pretty thick. And uh, so we're going to try and uh, help unpack some things for you. Um, We're in chapter 6, but uh, the last two sentences of chapter 5 illuminate where chapter 6 begins. And so we're going to begin the last verse of chapter 5. If you'll join me, let's dig into God's Word. Let's see what God has in His wisdom for us today. Romans chapter 5, starting at verse 20. So the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So what shall we say then? Uh, Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. He died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Don't you know that When you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey. Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become Slaves to righteousness. Grass withers, flowers fade. The word of God endures forever. All right, so today, uh, this morning, to fully grasp what we're, uh, where, what, where Paul has taken us here in, in Romans chapter 6, um, we need to come to terms with, we need to talk about uh, a very difficult word We need to talk about this word uh, because this is where God's word is taking us. And it is a difficult word, it's a difficult concept, not because of what the Bible means when it talks about it, but because of the cultural and historical background that we take with us when we encounter this word. This word has a, a really poor history through time. And even in the world in which we live now is still running rampant in our world is an ugly thing in the ways that we have seen it. And it would be tempting to say That because it has ugliness, that all aspects of it are, are, are completely unworthy of our attention, unworthy of God. The word we're talking about today is slavery. An ugly reality in our world. And it is still an ugly reality in our world. There are children and women. And people all over the world that are captured, sold into, and forced to be slaves for the whatever pleasures or wills of others. Forcible slavery is an ugly thing. Our passage makes it clear that there is a slavery that was never meant to be. And I think all of us in this room can agree. Can we just, yes, affirm, agree that slavery as it is rampant in our world, is nasty, yes? Terrible. And yet, this, the Word of God, at the very same time, paints a picture of slavery as a powerful, positive reflection of our intended relationship with our Creator. Creator. Now that makes me uncomfortable because I like black and white. I like things to be just what they are and then to not be what they're not supposed to be. But our passage, our passage, we read it just a little bit ago, suggests that there is an inappropriate slavery and there is an appropriate slavery. Now, there's no way that it contends that forcible owning of another person is acceptable. There's no way that it suggests that because, and I can say this with pretty with a fair amount of confidence, because I know the Greek. The Greek says, it uses the word for slavery, is doulos. And part of the meaning of that Greek word doulos is the willing giving of oneself to be owned. A willing... Uh, uh, um, to to, to choose to give yourself over to another. Now, there is no aspect of that over here. So if we've got a wide spectrum here. The whole stage here is the spectrum of slavery. We can say like this whole half over here, which is forcible owning of someone else, bad, completely bad. And somewhere over here, the Bible seems to paint a picture that we can give ourselves away. Here on this other half of the stage is the giving of ourselves away. And somehow, if we give ourselves away, we can have enslavement that's good how is that possible how is giving ourselves to someone or something to be owned by them how can it be good and well this is where Romans 6 makes it clear there there's a very narrow spectrum of what makes that good see it all matters it all depends on to whom or what you give yourself verse 19 of Romans 6 says this Just as you used to offer yourselves, so you're giving yourself away, just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. The measurement of whether or not your enslavement is good or bad is to whom you give yourself. (sighs) Now, talking about slavery is, is a difficult thing. I mean, there's a, there's a certain um, uh, tension that, that causes inside of my person. The problem is, is just because you don't like something, just because I don't like something doesn't mean that it's not true. And the more time I spend in God's word and the more, well, the more time in my experiences in life, the, hey, the more time I spend in marriage, I think the more I'm convinced that I am inherently created to be owned that I'm created to be owned you know what it means to be owned it means that we get our identity from outside of ourselves that the thing see things things people things that are owned are are Known by who owns them? This is Doug's Bible. Doug's Bible. I haven't gotten my name printed on it, but many people do. These are these are Doug's boots. And after a morning of preaching and uh, working up a lather, you don't want Doug's boots. Ownership is a part of life. Ownership is how we understand uh, the boundaries of life. It's how we we experience and understand what happens to us. And regardless of how uncomfortable saying it makes me feel, I cannot deny its truth. How I encounter the world and all the aspects of the world is... Uh, my experiences tell me that I am owned on a regular all the time. This is this is this is how the world and I have a conversation. It's deeply ingrained in who I am and how I'm made. I worry about what others think of me. I I wonder if people will be offended by the things I say. I, I try and keep the peace with the uh, people in my neighborhood so that they will think that I'm a good neighbor and I try and be a good dad so that my, my sons will think that I'm a good dad and, and I want my wife to think that I'm a good husband. All of who I am defined by what others are thinking. Pride is how I measure myself against others. I'm, I'm better at that than they are. <laughs> Shame is how I don't measure up against somebody else. Wow, they're, they're, they're way better at that than I am. Fear is what I'm afraid others will do to me and love. Love is the outpouring of compassion and affection from me to someone else. Or they're outpouring into me. You can't have love without another. And love is the greatest gift. I think the Bible might say that somewhere. Every, every core reality of who I am is defined by what another thinks or, or, or says about me. And this became, this became incredibly true for me just a couple of years ago. After almost 20 years of marriage, I realized that my beloved wife owns me. She owns my heart. And I'm not talking about in that nasty way where she's like, she's the one who controls everything. You know, you know who wears the pants in that family. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about she has captivated my heart in a way that no other can. She owns me, and this became incredibly real for me. I knew it was absolutely true a couple of years ago when we find out, found ourselves on a used car lot and we bought a Volvo. <laughs> because we went out kind of looking for cars on that January day, and it was snowing. It's not a kind of day you go out and look for cars, And we were trying to offload our our PT Cruiser just weren't very happy with it. And we get to this car lot and we're walking around and she sees this 2005 Volvo V50 and suddenly she did this thing, oh. Now, the trouble with the Volvo is that it did not meet three of the four criteria that I have for buying a used car. And if you know me, you know I take buying used cars very seriously. I've got four criteria, you do not deviate. I'm like, but honey, you know, it's it's got this, honey, it doesn't have this, honey. And she's like, yeah, but can we just can we listen to it run? <laughs> like, um, all right. <gasps> Heated seats. Okay. <laughs> and we got out of the car and she said, Well, now I, I know, I know it doesn't meet all of your used car criteria. But, and I knew in that instant, I had bought a Volvo. <laughs> and as that percolated in me over the next week or so, I realized how powerful she is in my world. And I and I told her that I one day I was just you know what, honey, um, you know, you know you own me, don't you? And she goes, You just figured that out? (laughs) And, like, that's a powerful place to be. That can be very dangerous. She goes, Yeah. And she said these beautiful words, but you know, you own me too. Like, really? (laughs) Oh, shucks. Part of being human is being created for relationship. We are created for a relationship. We're created to need other. God said so right at the beginning. It's not good for man to be alone. That's what he said. Even though man had God hanging out with him all the time, still the father said, you shouldn't be alone. You need someone else. And he made this partnership he gave us each other. Now, we are made for a relationship. We are made to be owned. But the most important, this is where, I mean, all of what I'm talking about are these earthly relationships, but here is the most important place where we're made to be owned, and that is owned by our Father in heaven. We are made, he made us to be owned by him. To be owned by someone, remember, to be owned by someone means that they tell you, they determine, they are the one who defines your identity. What they say is true about you, that's what's true, period. Nothing else matters. And we we know how this played out. We saw it play out. We can just open our Bibles to Genesis, the first few chapters of Genesis. We can watch how beautiful it is to see people fully and completely owned by God in the beginning when God made Adam and Eve. Life was perfection. When their whole identity, everything about them, they were completely owned by God's glory and God's glory alone. No one else was telling them who they were. No one else was telling them what they needed. Not even themselves, it was perfection. And we know it was perfection because the Bible illustrates how it was perfection by telling us, in, in, a def, in defining what they knew and what they didn't know, telling us something beautiful about how wonderful they, they had life with God defining who they were. The Bible tells us that they were naked and unashamed. Now, for those of us that live in the world in which we live, we know that being unashamed of nakedness is a really crazy thing. I mean, nakedness has a, a anxiety around it. It has, it has a, a vulnerability to it. it, it was, some of us might even think it's shameful. I mean, what's, what's one of the worst dreams that you can have? Being up in front of school, being up in front of a congregation. This is a nightmare. And suddenly realizing you're in your underwear. Okay, yeah. Right? It just like, ooh, kind of creates anxiety. It creates tension. It creates fear. We know that, that, that we, you know, what, what, what are other people going to think about that? And here the Bible illustrates to us just how per, per, just perfect and peaceful Adam and Eve's life was because they were naked and they didn't even realize it. They didn't need to. God didn't say it was important, so it wasn't important. And then one day they decide they wanted to know something else. And so they ate some fruit, and their eyes are opened, and they begin to assess who they are, not only on what God says, but on what they think. They choose to thus be enslaved to something other than God, and perfection is shattered, it's gone. And it is that that Christ comes to fix. He wants us to have the opportunity, the ability to go back and be fully owned, fully involved, fully captivated alone by our Father in heaven. See, before Christ, it couldn't happen. Uh, because you remember what Pastor Trent was talking about last week? He talked about recapitulation. Adam tried to do it and failed, so Christ had to fix it. Christ did it, and he did it Perfectly because he needed to make a way, he needed to make a path so we could get to that place again where we could be owned, completely owned by our Father in heaven, that he alone would tell us who we are, what's true about us, what, what needs to be important and what doesn't need to be important. He can, he can define us completely. That his glory alone is what covers us up and wraps us up in the, into the people and, and the, the, the nation of, of believers that he wants us to be. Jesus has made this good slavery available to us again. Now, does that mean that it's easy? Does that mean so suddenly now because Jesus did what he did, I can just stand and live over here and I don't have to worry about a thing. I got this whole thing. I'm a Christian. I believe that's the end of it. Um, well, yeah, um, no. Um, yes and no. Um, it's not that simple. Um, it's actually kind of a journey. Christianity, you know this, right? Christianity is a journey not a destination. It is a road you walk towards sanctification, a road you walk toward holiness. Um, It's one of the core values of community. We believe that faith is a journey. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's from Philippians. That over time those chains become released. Over time Christ sets us free. Over time we fight battles and he, he pulls off the chains that are binding us. He says, this one, no longer this one. And, and this one, we're going to get rid of this one. And it's hard work and it, and it means devotion. It means discipline. It means self-sacrifice. And it's not easy. I'm in the middle of a couple battles now and I'm fighting them. And sometimes I'm winning and sometimes I stumble. I stumble. But I know he will set me free because he's done it in the past. There are so many things that I don't have to live with now because of what Christ has done for me. I can tell you one of them. I want to share one of them with you because um, you, you need to know what's available to you. So uh, back in like uh, 2006, we're in the middle of ministry at my first church and my wife you know, she puts the boys to bed and, and we're settling down for the evening and she sits down and she looks at me and she says, we need to talk. Uh-oh. All right, talk about what? I'm concerned about you. Uh-oh. I'm concerned about something that is a part of your life that I don't think is healthy for you. I'm like, which one? I mean, <laughs> what? Because goes, you know, this is a, a pretty significant part of your life, and I think it has control over you, and, and I'm really worried about you. I'm like, okay. She says, I'm concerned about how much pop you drink. What? (laughs) I'm concerned about how much pop you drink. You mean like like pop? Soda? Yeah. Like Coke? Yeah. Coca-Cola? Not like Coke. No. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, All right, no worries. No problem. Why? Well, it's a lot. I mean, you've got like several 20 ounces a day. You're spending the money on that. You know, you swing by the gro- uh, convenience store and it's always more expensive and all the caffeine. And I'm like, okay, money's just pop. I know, but I'm worried about you. All right, well, you know, I didn't take her very seriously. I kind of poo-pooed what she was saying. I was condescending to her and and she is a wise enough woman to know that uh, what you do and you're concerned about something, you plant a seed and you step away. And what I learned in that moment is when somebody that loves you expresses concern about something, um, you got to pay attention. And I, I tried to kind of get rid of it. I tried to ignore it for a while, but uh, it just wouldn't go away. It just kept kind of working on on me a little bit and in my heart. And finally, I'm like, all right, all right. All, should I, I should probably pray about this. It's like this worm, keep going on in there. I got to get rid of this. So I, I got on my knees and I'm praying, God, um, um, all right. So Laura was talking about something she's concerned about. And she says that I might drink too much pop. What do you think? And I love this because here's God and he's like, ha, ha, ha. All right, I've been waiting for you to ask about this one. I'm like, what? He's like, so what do you think's going on? I'm like, well, she's worried I'm drinking too much pop. I'm like, do you think you're drinking too much pop? I'm like, it's just pop, who cares? He's like, hmm. So you don't think that it owns you in a way that it shouldn't? Like it's just pop. Who I mean, I drink a lot, but who cares? It's just pop. He's like, really? So you you think there's good false gods and bad false gods? Like, wow, I I wasn't saying that. I just don't think it's a god at all. Why? Because it's so unimportant? Well, yeah, it's just pop. All right, so there's a little god, and there's big gods, and so only the big gods matter. I'm like, whoa, (laughs) no. But, like, there's big things people have to fight, and then there's just, you know, we've got our little things. Well, what's a big thing? Well, you know, like big things. Like some people worship money and some people, you know, they, they, some people are addicted to, you know, drugs. I mean, I mean here we are in Haywarden and, and, and meth is a big problem. <laughs> like, okay. I'm like, there's other big gods. I mean, your Old Testament talks about big gods. There's, remember like Baal, Baal in the Old Testament, he was a big god. And God just starts laughing. I'm like, are you laughing at me? He's like, oh, son. You think Baal is bigger than Pop? I'm like, absolutely, Baal's bigger than Pop. Baal's all through the, the, the Old Testament. I don't see Pop mentioned anywhere. He's like, Doug, I'm going to open your eyes on this one, all right? You ready? Baal doesn't exist. I'm like, what? He goes, Baal isn't real. You know what happened? Somebody took a little piece of wood, they made a figurine, or they polished up a stone, they put it up on their mantle, and they said, your name is Baal. That's Baal. That's it. He doesn't exist. Except when he does. See, he exists when the human heart turns from me. That's when he becomes a god. Anything, I don't care whether you think it's big or whether you think it's small, anything that turns your heart from me is a god. Now, let me ask you again, how you doing with Pop. Uh, um, oh. And I was crushed. I mean, it, it rocked my world, and I fell on my knees. And I'm like, Father God, you've got to take this from me. Then take it far, far away. Get rid of it. Take this, and take every other thing. There are so many other things. Take them all from me, God. Change my heart. I just want to be yours. And and he starts laughing again. I'm like, what? What, what did I say? It's so funny. He's like, kiddo, this is just slow down, all right? Just slow your roll. Let's just work on this one. If you try and do it all, you're going to get crushed one thing at a time. Just let me take these chains off. Let's, let's break this chain. Let's just, just soda. Let's get rid of it. And it took time and I had ups and downs and I was good sometimes and I failed sometimes. But after two years of battling this, God set me free. I'm not addicted to pop. I don't need caffeine. I haven't had really any I don't really have caffeine ever. And 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 now I can drink a can of soda every once in a while. It doesn't matter because it's not a thing. God set me free. And it's weird to give you a sermon illustration about pop as if it matters. But it matters. It matters because anything that comes before God is a false God and it owns us. Small, big, those aren't even real things. It doesn't matter. There are some wonderful things that I worshipped that were, that were wonderful things and I worshipped them and they came before God. I used to worship ministry and, and family and, and, and uh, a good work ethic. Anything can own us when it's out of balance or if it comes before the Lord, anything. And it's not small, ever. And it doesn't have to own us because Christ came to set us free from that. Every one of us has something and you know what it is. If you'll ask him, he'll tell you, what is it that I worship instead of you? What's getting in the way of us having a closer relationship, Father? What's keeping me enslaved here instead of going all the way over here? God says, I'll tell you. And I'm going to send my spirit to deliver you. I'm going to break those chains. I want to take them off of you. And he will. He will break every chain, everything that has ever trapped us. He will set us free one chain at a time if it has to be. It'll be on a timetable that we're not ready for. It'll take longer than we expect, and it'll happen so fast we won't even know what's going on. But that is what God wants to do. Through Jesus Christ, he has said, I will set you free. Now, at this moment, I really wanted to read an excerpt from a book from C.S. Lewis called The Great Divorce. I wanted to read you this piece, and it it would take 10 minutes, and so I can't. (laughs) So in your bulletins, there is an insert so you can read it. Take some time later today, read it. It's powerful. It's wonderful imagery that shows, that illustrates this whole breaking free. Because that's what God wants to do for us. To set us free. Through Jesus Christ, the healing of our lives. To move so we can be completely owned by him and not owned by these false gods anymore. The one who sits on the throne says, I am making all things new. And that means all things, folks, all things. There's not one piece of you that doesn't matter to God. And he's not making it new for someday, not someday in heaven. He wants to make it new today, right now. Just ask. He's waiting for you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your love, for your compassion, for your holiness, for your righteousness. And for your deep love that sets us free. Lord Jesus, thank you for making a way. For breaking and ripping apart these chains in our lives. Set us free. Make us holy. wholly owned. wholly defined. By what you say is true of us and no other. For the glory of your name, Father. And in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. First time I heard that song... Uh, I was in the car, and it got to that point where it's, uh, it said, if you believe it, testify, right? And like right there in, the, in my car, I'm like, you know what? Nobody can see me. So I just started shouting <laughs> because I've been set free. Have you been set free? You have. I know you have. There are ways that you're free. Testify. Tell somebody. Share it. There's good news. I got to talk with a gentleman after last service, and he got to tell me about something that God set him free from. God is good. He wants to set us free. Those chains that bind us are no longer longer in control of us. Only God. God tells us who we are. So may the Father of all lights and all power and all freedom bless you and encourage you, set you free from all that binds you, and give you strength and life through Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, amen. Go in peace.